0: Apologies, I'm no Dirk Van Damme, Um, (laughs) and unfortunately um, the OECD work did come before Hefke's project, Um, so you'll be hearing about this one and then picking up on what he found. There was sort of an opportunity after the OECD project where the UK, the OECD wanted to carry on some of the AHILA work um, and asked the UK if they wanted to participate, um and there had been some discussions. and then actually, what happened was the UK government decided not to go down the Ahilo path um, and um, for co- I mean this was kind of ministerial level conversations um, and instead pursue its own agenda on measuring learning gain that would uh, be more relevant to the needs of the UK higher education sector. Um, and then what ended up sort of becoming focused more within England, actually mm-hmm. in the UK altogether um, and Uh, My role in this, I've been doing a lot of research on activities related to learning gain. For a long time I did my PhD on the National Survey of Student Engagement in the US, um, which kick-started a lot of the conversation around some of these measures and accountability um, eons ago now, it turns out. Um, And I'm currently working with Hefke on evaluating the pilot project, so I'll give an overview of. Um, learning gain, but one of the things uh, that be a bit confusing. presenting at the same time. Learning gain is, I think, it's an interesting topic. It's similar to whether we call it learning gain, employability gain. There's a lot of overlap in these terms. Um, a lot of people kind of say, well, if this is so important, it seems like the holy grail now. Why has no one done this before? Why does this seem like a new thing versus something we should have been able to figure out a while ago? Um, Well, it turns out it's not very easy. So lots of people have tried in different capacities Um, and it's not easy for a (coughs) number of reasons, actually. Um, This includes, one, if you do learning game where you try and design new things to test students with, so you're actually more directly measuring what you want to, Um, It's quite challenging to get them to complete extra surveys or to do extra tests. So a number of countries have tried to do, for example, exit exams on a national basis, and a lot of students realize, wait, if I don't have to do this, I'm not going to do this. Um, For those of you who teach, um, it's kind of like trying to do formative assessments. It's quite hard to get students to do them. Even if you get them to do them, it's quite hard to get them to do them well, um, which you need to be able to measure learning gain. Um, the context of English higher education makes this particularly challenging to build on the international examples of kind of best practice in a lot of the learning game field. So the US has led a lot of the kind of accountability side in test measurements because um, they love to test in the US. Um, but a lot of those tests are based on a general edu- high, a general education model for higher education which maps more actually in the UK under the Scottish system but particularly doesn't map well onto the English system where students specialize from the age of 16 onwards um, when they do A-levels. So a general education that measures kind of broad learning actually isn't as conducive to mapping onto what English degrees are doing. Um, In standardized tests, you get different forms of uh, disciplinary bias if you try and ask students to write. Turns out students who do writing-based courses tend to have a bit more experience in how to write well. Um, so it's difficult to kind of measure um, an English student and an engineering student. Some tests kind of say there is no difference when it comes out with statistics. Interestingly, when you interview students, they constantly feel there's a difference, and some, even if it doesn't pan out in the scores, so where exactly that bias is coming from can be very difficult to attest. Um, another challenge in the UK, as well as um, most countries, comparability of entry and exit measures. Um, I believe last time I checked, there were 107 <coughs> different qualifications you could enter um, UK higher education institutions with. I mean, that's portfolios, performances, A levels, IB, um, you know, the whole breadth of things. So, how you kind of say, well, this is equal to that. Um, a large number of universities that have, um, you know, s- some have no entry requirements, basically. You can just sign up and take a course. Um, and enroll large numbers of students. Um, So so you kind of need that. If you're going to be measuring gain, you kind of need to know that starting point. Um, And that's not always easy, nor the end point with um, the degree classification system, which a lot of people don't have faith in. um, And it's quite blunt. It only has a few categories. Um, Attempts to kind of measure GPA, haven't. they've sort of tried to backwards map it onto the degree classification system so it doesn't actually tend to give you a lot more information. Um, So we don't really have great endpoints and starting points so it's kind of hard to measure the bit in between. Um, The reliability of student self-reports, this might surprise some of you in the room. Men always report learning more than women do Um, and that's mapped onto lots of um individual characteristics that people have kind of goes across <coughs> the whole diversity spectrum um following stereotype patterns of people's when they self-report how much they've learned it's much more related to sort of confidence than actual learning so if you just ask students so they did this recently in the if you're from the uk context or read the policy papers there's a annual survey run by the higher education policy institute and the higher education academy where they very bluntly decided to ask students about learning game by asking them a question in a survey, how much have you learned in higher education? Yeah. A lot. <laughs> a little. Not very much at all. Um, you know, and you kind of go, well, is that really the most reliable way of then saying, you know, students have learned this much by just asking them how much they've learned? Um, and then this bottom one I like to refer to as the triangle of doom. Um, don't Google triangle of doom. You get, this, apparently it's how you have heart attacks. I, I got <laughs> down a rabbit hole on the internet um, trying to look up pictures. Uh, but data protection, data sharing the research ethics, particularly when you try and take into account the new data acts that are coming into effect um, in 2018, which are European-wide, will apply to the UK for the time being. They um, have no plans to do another data act. Um, means that it's much more consent-based so it's, it's very difficult to then start using all the information that's out there to just run lots of analytics off students you kind of have to go back and kind of ask them each time which um is obviously good for personal rights but really bad for doing large-scale research where you just want to mine these databases for whatever questions you might want to ask and throw every possible variable into the mix and kind of see what comes out <laughs> But uh, despite it being challenging, I think it's very much worth doing, because right now, what we do is hold institutions to account. When we do it on student learning, that's largely um, in the UK off student satisfaction surveys. It's a lot of what's used. Um, kind of arbitrary degree, cla- degree classification systems that are kind of institutionally based. Nationally, it's generally off research reputation. Um, and these are very bad proxies for learning. I mean, really bad proxies. So despite learning gain, I think, being quite difficult to measure, and we're never gonna get it exactly, we can do a lot better than what we use now for sort of holding institutions accountable or figuring out what types of pedagogies are effective on a large scale. So, Hepke, um funded, first a scoping study that was done by Rand, kind of exploring the state of play of learning gain in the UK, which kind of found there wasn't really much happening on a large scale. There were some different aspects within some disciplines, medicine, which does sort of entry-level tests and exit tests, so you could sort of map on in a single discipline, but not things that could just be widely extended across um, the sector. So they funded 13 different pilot projects, using a range of different methodologies and approaches to kind of conceptualize what is learning the game. Um, and then they also ran two other projects that are going on at the same time, One is almost like a 14th project that's coordinated by the Funding Council itself Um, and then the last one is sort of a a, a bit of a big data approach, looking at all of the data sets, seeing what sort of mapping or proxies you could do with what's already there. And the institutions cover the kind of full spectrum of types of higher education regions um, around England. so when you get into, to so fund these projects, when I started looking into, so, so what are they doing? Um, and you start to ask, well, w- what are you measuring when it comes to this? And this is a really interesting question, because as a researcher, you might have your kind of pet survey or project or discipline that you draw from. So you kind of measure what that discipline says. So the psychologists like to measure certain things, the sociologists <laughs> like to measure certain things the widening participation (coughs) researchers like to measure certain things. Um, So there's a whole range of kind of approaches you can take, depending on the discipline you come from, for sort of how you conceptualise learning. Um, But what I think it kind of fundamentally comes down to is this question of when you ask, well, well, what exactly do you want to measure? turns out it kind of blends into, what do you think higher education's for? What are your kind of deep-seated values? Um, And I think... Bits of this are kind of studied you know, by researchers or by institutions, but it often gets answered at kind of a governmental level, because that's actually where you tend to get large-scale funding for these types of projects, where someone is kind of asking a value-for-money question. What am I getting out of? What do I pay for? You know, and whether that's me directly as a state, me directly through funding student loans, um, through a taxpayer you know, finance system, um you know how are we what are we getting out of it and you start to ask well why did you design the system what do you what do you want from it to kind of say value for money when you then answer that question you say well what is it you're trying to get out of um and obviously at the top of both students lists and government's list um and increasingly academics list but i think historically less so is this question of employability you know you know are you graduating students who can go on and contribute to the economy in some capacity. Can they get jobs? Can they get the jobs they want? Uh, that's not to say that's the sole reason that you would do this, but that kind of bubbles up at the top of the list. But it overlaps with things like lifelong learning, uh, you know, growth in a discipline, but some people I think who are quite antagonistic to learning gain see it as antithetical to the kind of noble pursuits of higher education. Um, but actually, when you talk to students, you do, I personally don't meet a lot besides the ones in the philosophy department. <laughs> um, actually, who just say I just want to go and learn things, and I you know don't care about my future. Um, I don't care about jobs, you know. And if they don't while they're studying, they certainly start to afterwards. Um, so it kind of asks these questions, you know, what should graduates know and be able to do, but also what are students interested in. There was some recent research that came up that actually a lot of students are less concerned about employability while they're studying. They kind of want it as like a an outcome, but actually universities are almost more now interested in the term employability than a lot of students while they're studying. Um, so some there was a report out by the National Union of Students where students said, we actually don't want universities to be held for um, graduate employability outcomes. We want them to be in charge of teaching us well. Um, So there's kind of this fine link of, where is it employability and where is it employment? Which is a phrase I stole from Heike and try and credit her with every time I say it. (laughs) Um, So on the input and entry measures, when we go to actually saying, we know it's difficult, we'll come up with some purposes, um, now let's move on and just get to the business of, um, we're realists here, and so we're gonna at least try something. Um, Turns out, huge differences in entry qualifications and background characteristics to the point where it actually impacts what you can measure because students could start at such different points of what they know coming into higher education. Um, So one student learning a lot might mean by the end they know less than someone who's just starting coming from a different type of background. And then what I think is really interesting about the projects is starting to explore what types of things are being measured across these projects when you start to break down this question of, well, what is learning gain? Um, And as I've seen it from the approach um, in England, is there's kind of three broad categories of kind of approaches to measure learning um, and in various words that followed underneath it. And so these are effective what you kind of feel, how students approach learning, um, behavioral, what do you do, um, what are the activities you participate in, um, and cognitive. So some of the effective measures that are being considered, um, the impact of students' transition experience, um, and then a whole host of words <coughs> that I'm kind of trying to get into to talking to some disciplinary experts on, are these actually hugely different concepts or are they just different disciplinary approaches to asking quite similar questions um, around things like self-efficacy, well-being, confidence, resilience, satisfaction? Um, so there's lots of surveys you can find either <coughs> off the shelf or design yourself that you know, kind of claim to be a, a resilient survey and you get a resilient scale out of it. But is that actually hugely different than self-efficacy? Or well-being and obviously they would have have different roots but when it comes into kind of the practical you know questions are we actually kind of talking about some of the same types of things Um, some of this is related to um, mindsets Um, some of these are quite contested areas some people don't kind of believe in the resilience research um, don't have a lot of faith in it similar to um, the fixed and growth mindsets some people love it some people don't believe in it um, learning styles, kind of another one. Um, under behavioral, these are often the proxy measures of kind of, well you measure what the students actually do because you kind of understand the outcomes that students get from it. Um, so it's not that these are kind of the direct measures of learning gain, but you kind of go, the things you get out from participating in this give you the things that we want you to have. Um, so this is a lot of the research around student engagement and student engagement surveys. Um, students participating in placements, work-based learning, apprenticeships, students having various employability experiences, um, students engaging with specific co-curricular activities, um, students doing skills self-assessments, different ways of engaging in online learning environments. A lot of people like this one because there's a lot of data points when students log on to online systems, different ways of exploring learner analytics, Um, and institutional data sets so you can kind of see what do students do and what do these patterns link with. Um, And then lastly the cognitive domain which is where some people think well this is all I thought learning gain was about the kind of thinking bit. (coughs) Um, You know you can measure general cognitive gain so you can kind of say I'm just going to measure critical thinking and I can think of critical thinking that would translate across all disciplines whether you're studying dance or film or forestry, um, there's a general thing called critical thinking, and I'll just measure you. Or whether you're interested in disciplinary specific cognitive gain, what is it to think critically as a historian, and how how effective are you compared to other historians in your critical thinking. Um, Critical reasoning skills, situational judgment tests, so these are often used by a lot of large employers to kind of sift applicants, So then there's kind of an idea that, well, let's just ask the students these questions. Um, What seems to be coming out is it tends to be students who are quite aligned to these types of tests. So students in psychology classes, um, courses, tend to kind of take a situational judgment test and go, yeah, this seems relevant to me. Lots of other students go, really not bothered. Um, So again, a tricky one to get students to engage with, um, as well as students' engagement with research methods learnings. So a whole host of different ways you can kind of go about conceptualizing things. And then the kind of ideas, you put it kind of within a conceptual framework of, well, this is how these different measurements relate to a type of learning gain, either directly or as a proxy. Um, Started to kind of, initially in this project, it was, well, you've got some entry measures that you hold for account. You measure some things along the way, and then you have an endpoint. And it turns out, A lot of the endpoints either tended to be grades, because we have them, so that's why we use them. Not that we think they're brilliant, but they're there. Um, And then lots of projects, said, and then the endpoint is whether students are employable or not. You go, okay, but when you actually try and break down what does that mean, as far as I can tell, um, maybe this is something that can get unpacked through this seminar a bit more today, is employability skills tend to actually come back to these different effective behavioural and cognitive measures. So when you ask, well, what is it that makes someone employable, and you go, well, it's I want someone who's got confidence and self-resilience and, you know, can solve problems and has experience doing things and can think critically. And then you go, well, those are actually the things we were measuring along the way, and now we're just turning those into the kind of output measures. So it's not that employability is kind of a separate entity, it turns out it just is the different things. That we're measuring as learning gain. So that's why I very much the learning gain and employability gain is overlapping and kind of, in a way, conceptually, you can think of them as the same thing. Um, there's other outcome measures you can consider, uh, but I think it really comes back to the measures you would select to say this is how I want to measure learning gain, depends on what you think higher education's for. Um, is it to, you know, turn out you know, neoliberal knowledge workers for the 21st century? Is it to inculcate a love of learning? Is it to drive students to be immersed in a discipline and take that forward into their lives? Um, Is it to uh, provide social mobility and, you know, create equity across um, society? Is it to create democratic citizens who will contribute to the public good? All of these, you know, aren't completely separate, but you pick what outcome you think is important, and then you say, well, I want to measure the thing that would give me that, which is why I think it's a very contested area um, and why a lot of people get kind of worked up because you start to say, well, what are these measures doing? And I think it's also why you get quite stuck if you use a single measure um, and why it's quite useful to think of more of a basket of measures, a breadth of measures, rather than isolating one and saying, this is all we think higher education is about. Um, Across the different projects, what we found in England is that there's different measures that are appropriate for different types of students, um, different subjects, at different institutions, Um, different measures you would use if you're interested in more general gain versus disciplinary gain. Um, If you're interested in employability versus employment, you'd go down quite different approaches. Um, And it's related to a lot of current debates that are happening across a range of countries, on sort of how do we define success or excellence? Um, What do we think this comes down to? Um, I'm just gonna wrap up with a couple thoughts on kind of uses of learning gain metrics. Um, They can be used in a whole variety of ways, everything from sort of students' individual engagement with personalized approaches to learning, different types of pedagogy and curriculum design, institutional enhancement, external engagement, as well as national accountability, regulation, international comparison. Um, Some of the learning gain metrics that have been more established in countries like the US have been used as um, student qualifications. Mm -hmm. So there's one test that's been running for a while, the CLA plus exam. Um, Students can actually get badges of like top 5% critical thinker in the country. (laughs) So you can sort of go beyond your own institution to kind of be able to compare. Um, by being able to take some of these large-scale assessments. Um, Feeds into things like quality assessments, um, you know, accreditation of institutions to kind of say, are you actually churning out graduates who have done something? Um, And kind of if it turns out they're not, you could kind of pull their funding or access to funding. Um, Links with different types of teaching excellence, as well as evaluations, whether internally or externally, of institutions. also quite useful for using learning analytics in terms of enhancement within institutions. So I think this isn't, this is where it gets a little complicated because there's kind of different measures you would want to use to hold, it, you know, that you would want to use at an aggregate level to hold institutions accountable and statistics that work at that level. And actually it's often quite different measures that would be quite useful if you're an individual teacher on the ground, what you would want to know about your individual students related to your teaching. Um, So there's actually, I think, a whole host of different types of learning gain metrics that could be developed and used um, and spread more widely, but they would have quite different purposes. Some of the things that are useful at the local level don't scale up well and vice versa. Um, A lot of this is in a broader context of sort of a a shift from a focus on teaching to learning. Um, So we're kind of more interested in the outcomes of learning Um, and a broader culture of evidence and impact, which we've seen um, across a variety of countries particularly in relation to research, which is now being moved into teaching and we've seen extensively at the schooling level in teaching and is moving into the higher education space. So, I mean, the data can be quite useful to kind of gain credibility, raise awareness, target support of different types of educational interventions. Um, what, it, what a number of the projects have found is it shifts the conversation away from sort of individual modules in what students are learning, which is quite a structural approach to education to much more of a larger curriculum focus. And you start to look more across the student's course as a whole rather than just what bits have they learned in each piece. So learning games (coughs) kind of tends to make one think beyond individual modules and how do you link students' learning across a course and the activities that they do inside and outside of the classroom. Um, But what it does is raise a lot of questions for those of you who work within institutions Um, For how do you access, understand, interpret, and use the data? Um, If if it's supposed to be used by all teaching staff, how is it sent out in a form that's accessible rather than a whole bunch of very complicated charts and graphs and numbers and p-values that um, don't really help a kind of teacher on the ground? Um, And how does this kind of change relationships within institutions, uh, between institutions and governments, about access to data, how it's used, what it's used for? So I'll wrap up there. Great. Um, and we're hoping.